This morning, we're going to begin a new journey. This time, this journey is going to take us through the book of 1 John. So if you've got your Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to go ahead and find 1 John in your Bible. We're going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 1, and this morning we will go through the entire first chapter and also the first two verses in chapter 2. But as I have done in the last few sermon series, I want to start with the context, and I want to say just a little bit about that before we actually get to the context of the book of First John. I heard a pastor say one time is that sometimes, really oftentimes, it's hard for everybody that hears to remember every word that you say from the pulpit. It's just hard. It's hard to retain all of that. But this particular pastor told me what they are likely to remember and truly take with them are those things that you model to them over and over and over. So I hope that you are starting to realize that for the last several sermon series that I've preached, we begin with the context, and that will be no exception this time. We're going to begin with the context of the book First John, and I hope by doing that, by just talking about the context over and over, that you will begin to see that really is important. Not only when I read the book First John, but when I read any other book of the Bible. So when we think about the context of the book of 1 John, it was written by John somewhere in the time period of AD 70 to AD 95. Now, just some background information as we take this new journey today, as we begin this new journey. John wrote this book at Ephesus. The population of Ephesus was around 300,000 people. Now, just to give our minds something to relate that to, that is near the population currently of the city that we know as Lexington, Kentucky, which is not that far from us. So as John was writing this book, the book of 1 John, he wrote it in a place that was about the size of Lexington, Kentucky currently. Now, Ephesus was the capital city of the province of Asia in the part of the world that we currently know as modern-day Turkey. Ephesus was a leading trade center in the Roman Empire. Ephesus was a center of worship of the pagan goddess Diana. Pagan goddess Diana. It's important that we realize that as we think about the context and what was going on when this book was written. The temple of Diana was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Ephesus was a beautiful city. It was sophisticated. It was generally known as a wealthy city, but it was also a pagan city. And when we think of that particular time frame, AD 70 to AD 95, you know, I think it's important for us sometimes just to realize what generally has happened that leads us up to this what's still to happen. So I know this is going to be difficult for you to see on the screen this morning. So I'm just going to read some of this to you. So if you start over at your left, it says Jesus is raised from the dead. So that's our starting point this morning. Then after that, uh, James, the son of Zebedee, is martyred. Somewhere around AD 66, Christians flee Jerusalem during the Jewish war. Around AD 70, the Romans destroy the temple in Jerusalem. Just think what that would have been 
lake. And then that brings us to this period of time where John is writing his letters. Now, there's also a dominant theme that we see throughout this book as we read through the book of 1 John. And here is that theme. God is light and he is love. And believers, true believers, true followers of Jesus Christ, they show their love by God by what? Loving one another. Remember, Jesus himself says, By this they will know that you are my disciples if you what? Have love for one another. So it shouldn't surprise us as we look at Scripture that we see that this theme in in 1 John is God is light and love, and that believers show their love by God, for God by loving one another. So with that in mind, let's take a look at our text today. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. So if, if you are physically able to stand, I want you to stand right now just as our way of honoring the reading of God's Word. I hope you'll follow along in your Bibles this morning, but if you don't have your Bible this morning, it will be on the screen. So this is the Word of God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you so much for the reading of your word this morning. And Father, now as we take this step into the Scripture, what I pray that you will hide me behind your cross. Father, I pray that your anointing will be upon me this morning. Father, may I point them to you and to the cross. Father, I pray that you will open ears to hear 
minds to understand, and hearts to receive. Father, I pray that you will do great and mighty things in this place this morning. Father, if there is one person here this morning that is hearing my voice, that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, Father, may this be the day that your convicting power will fall upon their lives. And what I pray, that they will cry out, what must I do to be saved? Father, I pray that you will do the exceedingly abundantly more this morning than our, mind, than our minds can even think to ask or imagine. Father, may you do that today. Lord, may we leave this place rejoicing. Lord, may your Holy Spirit simply fall fresh upon this place this morning. And Lord, may you be forever glorified. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the title of this morning's message is this. Is your joy complete? Is your joy complete? Now, as we look at our first four verses this morning, we're going to see that John starts right at the beginning, and he tells us his purpose in writing this letter. And I always love it when you don't have to guess why something is written. John is going to tell us why he wrote this letter. So as you... Start to read verses 1 through 4. I want you to keep in mind this morning that what John does, not only in these four verses, but what we're going to see him do throughout this entire book is that he simply tells people what he knows. He tells people what he knows. And I want you to hold on to that thought because it's going to be important here in just a few minutes as we get to some more verses in this sermon. But I want you to see here, in beginning with this first verse, he says, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the word of life. Now, why would he begin with something like this? It can be confusing unless you know some background information. And I'm going to tell you, and just in case you don't know why he's starting like this, I'm going to, I'm going to remove all doubt for you this morning. Do you remember what Peter was combating in First and Second Peter? Do you remember what Paul spent a significant amount of time writing about? And the answer to both of those questions is false teaching. They spent a lot of time combating false teaching. John's doing the same thing here. That's the reason he, he starts. He wants them to know we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, and we have touched with our hands. And what he's talking about here, he's talking about they've touched Jesus, they've seen Jesus, they've heard Jesus. So why? Why is it so important that he tells them this? And here's the answer to that. These false teachers were likely suggesting to all of those who would entertain them, to all of those who would listen to their teaching, they were likely saying that the body of Jesus was not a normal human body, that instead it was like some sort of supernatural type of body, like perhaps like an angel. But that's not it. We know Jesus had human flesh. We know that. But let me just tell you here, when John says that I have seen with my eyes and have touched with my hands, he is telling these people what he knows. And I think we can learn a lot by looking at how John addresses this here. So many times when we are talking about 
we have a responsibility to share our faith with a lost world. We do. We have that responsibility as believers, as Christians. We are to share our faith. But for some reason, that tears people up one end and down the other most of the time. Satan will sideline people with this thought process. What if they ask you something you don't know? What if they ask you something that you don't know? I'm going to tell you this morning, they probably will. They probably will ask you something that you don't know. And you know what? That's okay. Be honest with them. Tell them that you don't know. Tell them that you will look it up and you will call them back or you will meet with them again. But I want to challenge you this morning. Tell them what you do know. Tell them what you have observed. Tell them how Jesus has changed your life. That's what they want to know. That is what they want to know. Tell them what he has done for you. I once was lost, but now I see. He has saved a wretch like me. Tell them that. Tell them with conviction. Tell them with passion. Tell them where they will have no doubt believing what Jesus has done for you. But show them Jesus. Show them Jesus. Now, in verse 2, the life that John is describing here is eternal. This life was originally with the Father. And when we were talking about with the Father, we are talking about God, but came to earth in the form of a baby named Jesus. And you know, just shortly, we, we're going to be talking about the Christmas season, the birth of Jesus, Jesus coming to the world. But that is how he came to earth, in the form of Jesus. Now, one of the reasons that John proclaimed what he knew is that he wanted the readers to have fellowship with him and his disciples, but ultimately with Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you this morning, fellowship is important. It is so very important. First, as Christians, we must be in fellowship with God himself. And if we are not first in fellowship with God, we are not going to be in true fellowship with any other Christian either. We've got to be in fellowship with God first. And you might be thinking of something that we call a fellowship, like a meal or something when we gather. Those times are important, but that's not continual fellowship. The fellowship that John is talking about here begins with fellowship with God and with Jesus. Once that fellowship is in place, then true fellowship can occur with other believers. I want, to, I want you to notice verse 4 here. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John was concerned about the original readers of this letter. He was so concerned with them being confused by the false teachings of these false teachers that he's saying our joy cannot be complete as long as you continue to be confused. And I want to stop for just a minute and ask us a question. Do we, do we carry a burden like that for anyone? For anything that we would go on record and say my joy will not be complete until I see that person saved until you fill in the blank do we carry burdens like that you know I've shared with you before that I routinely pray 
that we will be so burdened for the loss in this community as a church that we will not sleep well at night. I pray that routinely. And I hope, this may sound, this may sound unusual when I say this, but I hope that you are being woke up in the middle of the night with names and faces of lost people on your mind. And I pray that you're taking time to stop right then and pray for them. Are we truly burdened for people to the point that we would say, my joy will not be complete until this happens? And I hope, I hope that the answer to that is yes. Now, in the rest of this chapter, in the first two verses of chapter 2, we're going to be seeing that John not only talks about fellowship, but he describes what the conditions for this fellowship are actually are. Verses 5 through 7 that are on the screen right now, I'm going to tell you, I could preach an entire sermon on these three verses. They are powerful, powerful voices. And I want us, verses, and I want us to hear these verses again. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. And in him, is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now I want to tell you this morning, there are so many people in our world today who have been deceived completely by our enemy, Satan. Church, we live in a world that is full of so much darkness. Let's be clear this morning. The darkness that I am talking about is not when it gets dark outside at night. I'm talking about the darkness that Satan brings about, that darkness that is directly from our enemy, and his name is Satan. Verse 5 tells us that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And church, I'm going to tell you, if you're in Him, you are not in darkness. It's as simple as that. If you are truly in Christ, you are not habitually in darkness. Look at what verse 6 says. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And I want to say one more time this morning, I believe that. I believe it. It's part of God's Word. You've heard me say over and over again that I affirm the Bible is true from Genesis chapter 1 until the final word in the book of Revelation. This Scripture is part of God's holy Word. So as Christians, we cannot be comfortable participating in any form of darkness. We simply cannot be. And if you find yourself participating in darkness and you don't have a problem with it, let me tell you, it's a problem. It is a problem if you are able to participate in darkness and you do not feel the convicting power of the Holy Spirit on your heart and life. There is a problem and it is a big one. If you are walking in darkness, you do not have fellowship with God, nor do you have true fellowship with other Christians. And I want to remind you, this is God's Word that's saying this. So many times people walk away from sermons and they say, He offended me today. If you're offended this morning, I want you to know you're offended by the Word of God. 
you are offended by the word of God. You are not necessarily offended by the one who is proclaiming that word. Verse 7 is good news. It's good news, church. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from how much sin? All sin, and that is wonderful, wonderful news. And it's important that it says all sin. What if it just cleansed us from part of it? What if it just cleansed us from part of it? It would be horrible. How would we ever know if we had truly been cleansed from our sins or not if the blood of Jesus only cleansed us from part of our sins? But John is very careful to tell us here the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And that is wonderful news this morning because it means that there is absolutely no sin that is, ex- that is excluded from this. The blood of Jesus is sufficient to cleanse us from any All, every sin. That is such wonderful news this morning. Now remember, remember we do not measure ourselves against society. That's one of the problems in our society today. Because there is this thought process that is not at all rational, but it goes something like this. Look at what they're doing. Look at what they're doing. Look how bad that is. What I'm doing is not nearly that bad, so I must be okay. That is what happens in our society today. And it's not right. It's not rational. I want to remind you this morning, we don't compare ourselves to each other. We compare ourselves to Jesus and Jesus alone. And when we do that, is there any of us that is without sin? No, the answer is no. There is not one of us that is without sin when we compare ourselves to Jesus, who is the perfect one. But I want to be very clear again this morning. That is not an excuse to sin. That is not an excuse to sin. Our desire should not be to sin. Now, I said earlier that verse 7 was good news, so, but so is verse 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. That is such great news this morning. You know, we've been talking about Thanksgiving already this morning. What the things that we have got to be thankful for. And y'all know that I love Thanksgiving. I dearly love Thanksgiving. I personally think it should be every day. Shame on us if we're only thankful one day a year. If the blood of Jesus covers us and has cleansed us from all unrighteousness, we should, be, we should be celebrating Thanksgiving each and every day. And I hope as you're making your list of things that you're thankful for, that salvation is number one. I pray that that's what it is. Let's never fail to be thankful for what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Now, a lot of what we deal with in the world today I'm going, to, I'm going to expand this one step further from what I described just a few minutes ago. A lot of what we deal with in our society today is the result of people either trying to minimize sin. Oh, it's not, it's not that bad. Yeah, it is. 
No sin honors Jesus. No sin honors God. But sometimes people try to pretend they haven't sinned at all. And that's awful. Look at what verse 10 says. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Remember, we're comparing ourselves directly to Jesus Christ. He is the one that is our standard. And I personally believe verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2 fit with chapter 1. And I want to remind you, as you look through your Bible, it, it's man that has inserted the chapter numbers in most cases. You know, if you were reading this, the original text, you're probably going to be reading one big paragraph right here. But verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2 sure fit with, with chapter 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Remember I said a few minutes ago that we do not have an excuse to sin. Even knowing that Jesus will forgive us, we do not have an excuse to sin. His desire is that we not sin. But John writes here, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness. We should be shouting amen right there that we do have an advocate and his name is Jesus Christ and that he is righteous. He is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not just for mine only, not just for yours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And church, this morning I proclaim to you, that is fabulous news. I wonder this morning, does the blood of Jesus cover you? The answer to that is really easy. It's either yes or no. It's one of those two. If you were going to stand face-to-face with Jesus Christ this morning, if your life is going to end here, would he say, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter in, or would you suddenly find yourself in a situation where I've entered that wide gate and thought I had entered the narrow gate? Eternity is very real, church. It's very serious. And I'm going to tell you, eternity is a very long time to be wrong. You don't want to be wrong on that. I wonder this morning, has the blood of Jesus covered you? If it hasn't, it can this morning. That's the great news. That is the great news this morning that we've been talking about. If we confess our sins, verse 9, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I wonder this morning, is there anyone hearing my voice that needs a cleansing from unrighteousness this morning? If the answer to that is yes, I've got good news for you. That can happen right now, this very moment. I wonder, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning? The invitation is going to be really simple this morning. And I, as, our, um, as our musicians and our vocalists prepare to come right now, you can go ahead and come on. I I, want to ask you, is your life okay with God right now? Again, eternity is such a long time to be wrong. I wonder, is there a decision you need to make? Is there something, is there a burden that you need to lay at the feet of Jesus? If so, come this morning. Don't delay. Don't put it off. You may not have tomorrow. Would you pray with me this morning? 
Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, I pray right now that you will move throughout the sanctuary. Lord, may you do great and mighty things. Lord, may you save lost people. May you break chains chains that bind us. Lord, may you be glorified in this place this morning. Lord, I pray that burdens will be laid at your feet this morning. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will move through this place. Lord, we realize that your, your spirit is a sweet, sweet spirit. And I pray just as that old song says, without a doubt we will know that we have been revived when we shall leave this place. Father, may it be true this morning. May you move mightily and may you be glorified. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.